Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. This was a live stream from back on April 3rd. And so you can see I'm quite behind on getting the live streams out and edited and put on the podcast. I think that's going to be a consistent feature of my content because it's just a lot of work to get these things edited down. You have to have other deliverables like the thumbnails and all sorts of other other stuff. And I'm a one-man show. So anyway, if you want the unedited live version, I will link it down below for you. But also consider joining me live. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, roughly you know, around the noon time, I'm thinking about making that more consistent on a specific time. You can find me on YouTube at BTC Market Update, Twitter at Ansel Linder, Twitch, Bitcoin and Markets, and the Telegram. Uh, so you can find me on all those places. Join me for the live stream. Another topic I want to bring up here before we get into the show is I want to thank you guys for being loyal listeners. Uh, my listenership has been extremely consistent Every episode, even when I started pumping out more daily episodes, uh, it has been extremely consistent per episode, but I would like to grow it. I'm always constantly trying to grow the show. I appreciate you guys for listening. I would really appreciate a comment, a like, a share, uh, share my newsletter out there with people, share the show out. Uh, word of mouth is the best way to grow. I'm not a flashy podcaster with all these sponsors and selling all these altcoins and that kind of thing. This show has been going on a long time and never sold a scam, never bid off on all the ICO thing, the DeFi thing, any altcoin stuff. I've always been, always been very consistent and true and right over the years. If you rewind, I was the first person to say, that segment would be adopted by the user activated software right towards the beginning of the show. That's one of my claims to fame right at the beginning. I was like, I read it the next morning. I recorded a episode and boom, that's how segment got adopted. So since that very beginning, I've been extremely accurate with forecasting the Bitcoin space and forecasting macro in general. I was one of the only people in Bitcoin, probably the only person in Bitcoin talking about the dollar getting stronger. Jeff Booth was deflationary as well, but he is for different reasons. So I was, I've been talking deflation for a long time. I was right there too. I was also talking transitory CPI just recently and how that would affect Bitcoin. And then it appeared not to be transitory and people laughed at Powell. They laughed at people like myself that said it was transitory. But what's happening right now? It's crashing back down to zero. It was transitory. Just the short attention span of people that can't understand that a year-over-year -year number takes a long time to work itself through. You know, two years is a transitory amount of time. So anyways, <laughs> back on the thing. I'm trying to grow the show. I'm really putting out an effort to get as much content out there as I can. Do my best macro forecasting, Bitcoin forecasting. So uh, I appreciate your help if you would share this out to at least one friend or family, somebody that you think would enjoy this type of content. So, all right, guys, thank you. And let's get on with the show. That's my boy. <laughs> Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. We're getting right back into it here. On the show, we talk Bitcoin and macro. Every Monday, I put out a free fundamentals newsletter. That's Bitcoin Fundamentals Report. And so we're going to go over that. What I wrote about this morning, 
it has already gone out to subscribers but if you guys are not subscribed and you're listening to this watching this live stream if you are not subscribed go to bitcoinandmarkets.com and sign up to become a free member to get free notifications you can also support my work there and get more in-depth analysis all of my price analysis fundamental analysis uh charting wise is on the market pro tier so check that out at bitcoinandmarkets.com okay let's share the screen the homepage. this is issue number 235 as you can see but actually before we do that should we go over the charts no the charts are in this issue so we will cover that as we go down but what i want to do today is just walk through this give my commentary on stuff going on in bitcoin it's a little bit slower this last week of course, we are still coming down kind of off the adrenaline rush of SVB and Signature, even Silvergate. We're still coming down off this adrenaline high. So this week is another semi-slow week, but there are a few things that we can pull out here. Okay, so in the report up front here, I have this kind of table with the general snapshot of Bitcoin, and we are still consolidating at highs. The media sentiment is very negative which I'll go over here, but that really hasn't changed since FTX. Prior to FTX, the media sentiment was somewhat neutral, okay? Then FTX happened and it's been negative or very negative uh, in my estimation since that period. But this is some of the stuff that I put on this report here. Network traffic is moderate. We'll go over that a little bit lower, down lower here. Mining industry is strong. Um, I have some price section in here and I want you to note on this price section, I do put a Finney which is my denomination, you know, they have, we have sats is 100 millionth, right? 100 million sats in a Bitcoin. Bits are supposedly, historically have been 100 sats. So there's a million bits in a Bitcoin. Um, I came up with this denomination of a Finney several years back, probably four, five, six years back when we started getting to a place on the chart where you know, we had this, uh, what's the term for it? Unit bias, where people will see a $20,000 Bitcoin and they're like, well, I can't buy a whole Bitcoin. Who can buy a whole Bitcoin? And how could you use a $20,000 unit in a transaction? So then they look at, see, Ripple is $1. Oh, that's a better denomination. So I'm going, I think Ripple will do better. So um, this is a, there's a unit bias with, naive people investing in Bitcoin. But anyway, so a Finney is right in the middle between one Bitcoin and a SAT. So it's four decimal places instead of eight decimal places. And right now that's sitting at $2.80. So that goes a long way to dealing with that unit bias, giving us another denomination besides Satoshi. I think a Finney is really good. So hopefully that hasn't caught on yet. Uh, there, every once in a while, we get this discussion in Bitcoin about unit bias and about renaming different denominations. I still think Finney's the best. One ten thousandth of a Bitcoin, that, I mean, it's awesome. Okay, mining sector, the last adjustment was 7% higher. The next one is estimated in about three days. It'll be 1.5% higher, roughly. The mempool is shrinking down to 99 megabytes, and we'll go over that. Uh, fees for the next block, 82 cents for the next block. That's not very, very expensive. If you ask me, it's still under a dollar. 
median fee is 71 cents. Again, it, that's expensive if you're trying to do a $1 transaction, of course, but then you can use Lightning Network for that, right? But it's very cheap, especially if you start getting to 10, 20, $100 worth of a transaction, it's only 71 cents. And that goes as well for a $100 transaction and a $100 million transaction. Settling $100 million in 10 minutes anywhere in the world without a central party to stop you or question why. Why do you want to move this $100 million to this other bank in uh, outside of our jurisdiction? You know, uh, So that's a very small fee, <laughs> 71 cents. That's not, it's pretty much zero at that point. All right, uh, Lightning Network. I've just recently added this to the newsletter and I've been watching this uh, because I want to see how the Lightning Network does during this coming bull market. This will be really the first big bull market that we're going to have since so much of the infrastructure for the Lightning Network has built out. I mean, just over the last two years, we've seen massive amounts of Lightning Network infrastructure put down. And so how does the Lightning Network grow during a massive bull market that we're entering right now? So that's one reason why I added this. As well, it's it's just holistic. You need you need to talk about lightning if you're going to talk about the entirety of the Bitcoin ecosystem, the Bitcoin stack, all of that. But the capacity has been a little bit above five thousand for the last couple months, and you can see it did go up by five bitcoins from the last week's issue, but that's not even a tenth of a percent. Let's see, channels seventy three thousand. I think the high is about 75,000, but it has been dropping the last couple weeks down to 73,079 channels. And that's as many as mempool.space can discover. There's probably other channels out there that are undiscoverable, but these are the open Lightning Network 73,000 channels. Of course, we need that to be much higher in the future if Lightning Network is going to get adopted. Um, one of the problems for people new to Bitcoin, and you found this channel, <laughs> welcome, but one of the problems with Lightning is UTXOs, and that is endpoints of Bitcoin, and how do we, how do we uh, store those? Okay, so there's 21 million Bitcoins, there's what, 21 quadrillion Satoshis, but if you had a database, like the blockchain is, with 21 quadrillion entries no computer right now at least in the next few decades are is going to be fast enough to compute that and find and check that within a meaningful or a good enough amount of time to verify all the transactions you know because that that node has to scan through what's called the utxo set and this is a collection of all endpoints of bitcoin all endpoint addresses and stuff for Bitcoin. And to, to validate a transaction, what the node does is it scans through this UTXO set and it finds this and it makes sure that's valid, that it validates out, that it checks. But if you have 21 quadrillion entries in the UTXO set, no node is going to be able to do that, uh, you know, within a appropriate amount of time, say one second per transaction. And even that is too slow. Uh, you know, it has to be in milliseconds or nanoseconds or something to check these things. 
So that is a big limitation. So Lightning Network is a solution. There will be some centralization in the future, but it has at least the possibility and you have the opportunity if you are a sovereign individual, if you have the inclination to be off grid and be completely on Bitcoin, on a Bitcoin standard without a third party, you can do that. The thing is, most people aren't going to choose that. You know, let's say 10% of people want to be these type of sovereign individual types. They will be able to do that, but uh, not 100% of people. So I hope that makes sense. But yeah, I am watching Lightning Network. Okay, in headlines for Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Bitcoin. The big news this week is I do think there's a little bit of a quiet before a storm here. And we'll look at the chart and you can kind of see that in the chart. You know, people hate on technical analysis, but if you are a chart reader and you pay attention to these things and you kind of get immersed in the chart, the news cycle, the fundamentals of the space, you can look at the chart and it's going to tell you when certain things are likely to happen. And I think we are in a quiet before the storm sort of atmosphere right here, whether that's in two days or two weeks, I think it's coming. We're going to have uh, a pretty big move in Bitcoin. All right. So the first story I have, though, this week is Elizabeth Warren. She is trying to build this anti-crypto army. And you can see that image there of her. I did share that with Telegram earlier this last week. I say, thank God it's not against Bitcoin. <laughs> because it's crypto and Bitcoin is not crypto. Crypto is not Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoiners will be the first to agree that crypto is a den of scammers and thieves. A popular meme within Bitcoin for years has been that all coins are money printing scams trying to take your Bitcoin. Even if they are talking about, a, even if we are talking about a decent politician here, which we aren't, but let's say we were talking about a decent politician, it shouldn't be a surprise that they want to clean up the scams which Bitcoin is not part of. I, I do see this, though, as a globalist panic, part of the globalist panic that we are starting to see in the West. You know, the Davos crowd, Brussels, Washington, uh, Frankfurt, not Wall Street and not the Fed. They are somewhat stiff arming these globalist Marxist plants. I mean, Marxism and Wall Street doesn't really go together, right? So... They are stiff arming this to a degree. The enemy of my enemy is my friend in this case with the Fed and with Wall Street. I, but I see them failing all over the place. They are There's no big wins. I, I don't know of a single win that they can claim, these globalists can claim. And so, yeah, they're just failing at everything. And an anti-crypto army is just part of this. They're just throwing out everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. I say Bitcoin hasn't died and, oh, my association, I meant by association, these imitation scams haven't died either. Bitcoin isn't going away. It exposes the weak underbelly of globalist currencies, the worst being the euro. So yeah, I do see this Elizabeth Warren anti-crypto army as almost like a, you know, trying to protect the euro and the European Union and the ECB as much as it is anything with the United States because she is a globalist. Their political party is the global Marxist elites. They are not Americans. 
They're not Europeans. They are globalists. Moving on, FedNow was also a story. I did talk about this a couple times last week. It is not a CBDC. It is a PayPal type, PayPal type competitor to wire transfers. It'll be open 24-7-365. Now, there is some concern that in with recent banking failures and these bank runs on Silicon Valley and Signature and stuff, that these happened at such lightning speeds. Uh, you know, Peter Thiel came out and said, everyone get your money out of SVB, and billions were drained within a day. Now, if you have a 24-7-365 transfer mechanism, those bank runs could happen much more quickly. That is not something that they want. In good times, that's okay, but not in bad times. In bad times, it actually exacerbates the problems because it makes bank runs happen a lot faster. So what else do I write here? The traditional financial system finds itself stuck. They want to keep up with the private sector and offer competitive services, but don't realize the system has evolved the way it has for good reasons. Five years ago, blockchain was all the rage. The technology behind blockchain supposedly could solve everything, like equity settlement. Remember R3 CEV? They were the big company trying to do uh, equity settlement or security settlement on the blockchain. We all said that they're going to find out shortly they don't need a blockchain, which they then did a few months later, came out and say, oh, they just need DLT. Well, then now DLT is the same problems as blockchain. Nobody needs a distributed ledger. But anyway, so um, currently it takes days to settle an equity trade on the back end. The way the system evolved was for a middleman, and that's the DTCC. You guys should look that up. Um, it's an interesting middleman story with the stock market. But uh, they hold most publicly traded stocks, and traders, investors only hold a promise from that company. Trades take place on a layer two, if you will. This system was created due to a complex legal atmosphere, not due to technological limitations. Therefore, a technological fix is not needed, and the blockchain obsession disappeared. Apparently, it wasn't the technology behind Bitcoin. It is Bitcoin itself that is special. It is similar with the bank transfer issue. A plus, like fast transfers, is great in good times, but are trouble when disaster strikes. Slow tra transfers are a feature, not a bug. They are there for a reason. It is a fundamental limitation of a credit-based system. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the credit-based system is dependent on confidence, and so... If you have bank runs that can happen within an hour, uh, you can see billions of dollars fleeing your bank. That is really bad for a credit-based system. But if you are in a system that is a sound money system where you have, you know, maybe not a full reserve, but maybe you have 50% fractional reserve, you can meet most of those withdrawal requests. It's a big difference between a credit-based system and a sound money system. Now, since 1971, since we've left the sound money system, it's based on credit. And you can't have fast transfers on credit because that risks having a fast bank run. So this is a built-in limitation of a credit-based system. I say FedNow developed developments will be interesting to watch, 
but I can confidently say nothing of significance will come of this from this avenue for years. Okay, then MicroStrategy is the next story. They bought another 6,455 Bitcoins, bringing their total to 138,955. All right, that's about all for that story. All right, macro headlines. De-dollarization rhetoric has hit a fever pitch this week. Despite the claims that corrupt and smaller economies' currencies are threatening the dollar, the dollar share of global reserves show very little weakening. The dollar isn't going anywhere. It's what the dollar is that will change, i.e. being backed once again. So yeah, you're not going to take the dollar credit-based system and replace it with a yuan credit-based system or with a BRICS currency credit-based system. You have to replace it with a non-credit-based system. That's the point here. The dollar will change in nature. It won't go away. When we went from a silver standard to a gold standard backing the dollar, the dollar didn't go away. When we went from a gold standard to a free-floating credit standard, which is what we have today, you know, 1971, the dollar didn't go away. So when we go back to a commodity standard, the dollar won't go away. Why would it? Look how dominant it is. It's this green at the bottom of this chart. And this is the Bitcoin layer chart uh, for Telegram guys uh, that I shared last week. The blue is the Euro and of course, the euro is backed by the U.S. as well. So that's pretty much a USD. So you could say upwards of 75 to 80% of global reserves are in U.S. dollar or U.S. dollar backed currencies. It's not going anywhere, people. All right, let's keep going with this de-dollarization rhetoric this week. China's BRICS agreed to attempt a combined currency. The announcement of the BRICS intention to form a new currency to act as a global reserve currency sent shockwaves around the internet this week. And I should have said financial markets. Uh, pundits and quote-unquote experts, not worth their salt, think it's the end of the dollar dominance. Nothing could be further from the truth. If these countries were strong, now this is very important here. If these countries were strong and thriving relative to the U.S., they'd have no need to switch away from the current system or from the dollar. This is a, a, a decision from weakness, not strength. The fact is the BRICS and much of the world are struggling mightily right now. And it is politically expedient to blame the U.S. and the dollar. Once again, being the global reserve currency is a huge burden. It makes the U.S. the convenient scapegoat. Below is a great thread about the difficulties of creating a new currency. So I quote tweeted Andrew... Lockanath, and do I have that one pulled up? Let me see. Yeah, right here. All right, let's make sure you guys are seeing that one. So this is a great tweet thread here by Andrew Lockanath. I hope I'm saying that right. It's at Fluent in Finance on Twitter. He says, Russia, China, Brazil, India, and South Africa are planning to develop a new currency to challenge the U.S. dollar. This would be a big change to the global financial system, but too many challenges exist for BRICS bucks to become a currency. Here are five reasons why it will fail. Number one, agreeing on a unified set of economic policies. BRICS countries have different economic systems. China is a socialist country, while India is a democracy. 
This makes it difficult to agree on economic policies that would be acceptable to all of the BRICS countries. And this is very similar to, I mean, it gets into the idea of the Triffin dilemma. If this is a new currency, then these people have to be net importers versus exporters. They have to have combined fiscal policy, not just monetary policy and monetary policy. So these are problems that the EU is having with the euro and the euro is destined to fail. So why would some less like friendly, less cooperative group, the BRICS, who have cross purposes, how would this work? Let's continue to see what this Andrew has to say. BRICS countries have many differences in political ideologies, national interests, and power dynamics, which will create tensions and disagreements among member countries, hampering the effective implementation of a unified currency system, agreeing on a common set of economic policies. Achieving consensus among countries with diverse economic systems and priorities is a complex and time-consuming process. This includes monetary policy coordination, fiscal policies, and financial regulations. Number two. So that was all number one. Uh, number two, creating a stable and liquid market for BRICS bucks. A reserve currency needs to be stable and liquid to be widely used. The BRICS countries would need to create a market for BRICS bucks that is deep and liquid enough to support its use as a reserve currency. And as we're reading through this, think Bitcoin as well. So Bitcoin is having these same sort of issues, except it's not dependent on political ideologies aligning. It's based on cold, hard facts of being sound money and being a commodity. Okay. BRICS would need to create and maintain a financial infrastructure, including a reliable exchange rate mechanism, efficient payment systems, and a well-regulated financial market, a stable and liquid market to facilitate large-scale transactions with ease would be needed. Number three, convincing the world that BRICS bucks is safe and reliable. BRICS would need time to build a strong track record of managing BRICS bucks to convince the world of its safety and reliability. The world needs to be confident that BRICS bucks is safe and reliable before it is used. Convincing the world of BRICS bucks safety and reliability. Trust in a currency is vital and any perception of instability or uncertainty would undermine its acceptance as a currency. BRICS needs to convince the world that its currency is safe and reliable store of value. Okay, BRICS would have to implement transparent and sound economic policies, build a strong track record of financial stability, and ensure that their monetary policies are credible and consistent. The U.S. dollar is a stable and reliable currency, and it is widely accepted around the world. Number four, imbalanced contribution to the group's GDP. China's share in the group's GDP is 75%, which is much higher than the other members. This, yeah, of course it is. It's 75% of BRICS is the, the CCP. And this is one thing I've said. You know, do you think the CCP is going to give over any sort of sovereignty at all to South Africa or Brazil or India, their arch nemesis or perennial rival, I should say, India? No, they're not. And since it's 75%, who's really in charge? China. And don't you think India knows that? Don't you think Brazil knows that? This causes power dynamics that complicate decision-making and cooperation among the member countries. Number five, BRICS have diverse political systems. 
social issues, and economic challenges that do not align. Russia and Brazil have high levels of inequality and social unrest. India has a complex political system, and China has a repressive political system. The, this idea of BRICS bucks as a currency isn't new. And that's what I pointed out in last week's streams multiple times, that this is not new. Everybody wants to launch their own currency. Everybody wants to print money, guys. What did I just say about the altcoins? They are money printing scams to steal your Bitcoin. Every time that you want to launch a new currency, it's a money printing scam. At least those are what the incentives are aligned to do. It's aligned to steal from people, you know? That's why the best, really the only way, I mean, you can have an imposed new currency, but a truly functioning currency, one that can become a global reserve currency, is going to evolve naturally in the market. It cannot be programmed. It cannot be forced on people. The more you force on a global reserve currency, the use of a reserve currency, the more people go away from it. Now, people argue with that, perhaps they'll have issues, say, what the U.S. dollar is imposed, but it's not, okay? The U.S. dollar was chosen because it was highly elastic. The U.S. was a huge part of global GDP, had the greatest trade network that was, all trade was denominated in dollars. You know, after World War II, 50% of global GDP, I heard something about New York City in the year 1950 that was like, man, what was that? It was some crazy stat, like 20 blocks of Manhattan had a higher GDP than Germany or something like that after the war. Crazy. The U.S. was so dominant, it's hard to understand at this time. But yeah, we had the largest trade network. And so the currency of the largest trade network is typically the global reserve currency. And so, yeah, the market chose it. Now, if the market wants to go away with away from it, as I say that these attempts at a new currency they really just symbolize the desire for functioning money because the dollar system is not functioning as well right now at the end of a credit-based system. In a deflationary credit bust, you can kick the can, but you just tighten the noose. Kicking the can just tightens the noose of the system. It doesn't mean a new fiat will win. Most likely it won't because all other fiats they, they have bigger problems than the U.S. dollar system. The only thing possible to change to is back to a commodity-backed currency, getting away from this credit-based stuff. That's the only option to loosen that noose a little bit. All right, let's continue with this. Um, the dollar's dominance is due to many factors, such as the size and stability of the U.S. economy, the deep and liquid U.S. financial markets, its role in the global financial system and its role in the global financial system. There has been an increase in misinformation claiming that the U.S. dollar is collapsing or that the U.S. will lose its reserve currency status soon. Central banks hold approximately 60% of their reserves in U.S. dollars. 80% of global foreign exchange transactions are in U.S. dollars. The USD is popular. And I'll add to that the invoicing. It's something like 80% of global invoicing or something is done in dollars. The U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency, which means that it is the currency that most countries use to hold foreign reserve assets and settle international transactions. The U.S. dollar is a stable and reliable currency and is widely accepted around the world. Okay, so that was from Andrew Loknath. It's at Fluent 
in finance at fluent in finance on Twitter. Okay. So that was that. Here's another one that came out this week. And this is from the, you know, rhetoric of de-dollarization. France makes LNG trade with Chinese, with China in Yuan. And I think I read this tweet out on one of my prior live streams. Um, so my, my conclusion here, what all this new currency fever symbolizes is the fact that the dollar system is not serving the world efficiently anymore and people are ready to try alternatives. Another fiat is not the answer. Any other fiat option will have worse problems than the dollar. Trust is breaking down, credit creation is tanking, and what is needed is a commodity money. So while we all search for monetary alternatives to bring back a functioning market, Bitcoin is waiting for people to stop fighting their natural incentives to adopt it. Okay, so that's that part. That's all the headlines. Man, that took me a while to get through the headlines here, guys. Uh, the, the rest of this, we should be able to zip through. So the price analysis section, I do have, I started out with a weekly price chart and man, has the weekly just been flat? I don't think we're going to break down, but if we do, if we can't, can't hold 25,000, uh, you know, it could fall pretty dramatically the other way. It's just that there's not a lot of liquidity on the markets right now. Let me read because I talk about that. Okay, below is a zoomed in look at the battle with price resistance. So you can see this horizontal black line here. So yeah, this is about $28,750 is this black horizontal line within the red. And man, have we really tested that? One, two, three, four, five, five times. And the more you test the level, the more it's likely to break. Beware of a fake out, I say, however, because there is a possibility we do break it and then come back down. I think this is unlikely, and I say that in the report here, this is unlikely to happen, but if you are trading, be careful of this. If you're going to buy the breakout, make sure you have your stop losses. The stop loss is mandatory here. But what I do expect is something a little bit more, you know, a vanilla flag with a breakout. And that's how it's, it's starting to look like to me. So I say many of the on-ramps and Bitcoin exchanges are facing heightened oversight and much of the liquidity is drained. Uh, coordination slash liquidity to pull off a fake out is probably not there. The incentives are lacking for shorts or industry players to scalp a dip. This market is being driven by spot buying pressure, in my opinion. So interesting stuff on the price. That's what I'm kind of seeing. Um, make sure you guys subscribe to the Market Pro for more on Bitcoin and commodities, macro stuff, currencies. That's at bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50. You can get 50% off that first month to check it out. Okay, let's go into the mining headlines. So I talk here or include something about the Jason Lowry and the political article, because I do think that that is a pretty big deal that it's getting on these mainstream publications. And in those mainstream publications, it's talking about the U.S. needs to stockpile Bitcoin and cultivate a domestic Bitcoin mining industry. Just saying that, not as a punchline, but as a legitimate thing that somebody in the military is saying, I think that's huge. That's absolutely huge for Bitcoin. 
Another thing I saw coming out, another Bitcoin mining headline is Bitcoin mining now greener than electric vehicle technology, hydropower grows. And I linked to this article. I thought it was interesting. Okay, so it says the majority of power used in Bitcoin mining comes from renewable energy sources, according to research by ESG analyst and investor Daniel Batten. That name seems familiar, but I don't know where I've seen it before. Anyway, hydropower makes up 23% of all energy used in Bitcoin mining. Wind is used to generate 14% of Bitcoin mining, while nuclear and solar account for 8 and 5% respectively. Other renewable energy sources are used in about 2.5% of Bitcoin mining. So roughly 52.4% of all Bitcoin mining relies on renewable energy. Meanwhile, roughly 43% of all energy used in Bitcoin mining is still generated via gas and coal. Now, is that flare gas? That would be one of my questions. But anyway, 43% is gas and coal. However, Batten, the author, noted that the electric vehicle industry still uses a global grid mix, which generates 60% of its energy from fossil fuels. So Bitcoin only 43, which is really good compared to even the electric car market, which is 60%. Okay, let's move on to, okay, so the mempool, you can see it's come down here in the last few weeks. Um, March, what was that? About 23rd or 24th was a peak in the mempool, and it has been coming down ever since. And one of the things I do point out as well, inscriptions and ordinals, it was trailing off or kind of flatlining a little bit until April hit. April 1st was a jump. April 2nd was a gigantic spike in the number of ordinals slash inscriptions. Somebody said, hey, is that April Fool's Day stuff? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, I don't know, uh, you know, the mempool is so clogged, people could have put those transactions through on the first and it took a while for them to get confirmed, you know, 24 hours or so to the second, that's a possibility. But what I wanted to point out is that there is no corresponding spike in the mempool. So that is interesting. There doesn't seem to be much of an association here, but I will be watching that closely. Okay. What else? Lightning Network. So, like I said, Lightning Network capacity has been roughly around 5,400 for a while, uh, 73 to 75,000 channels. And it will be interesting to see how this Lightning Network, with all the brand new infrastructure, how it responds to a Bitcoin bull market. So, the headlines here, though, for Lightning Network is zero knowledge proofs coming to Bitcoin, overhauling network state validation. Zero, uh, sorry, Zero Sync Association, a Swiss-based nonprofit, profit, Lord, is developing tooling, which allows users to validate the state of the Bitcoin network without having to download the blockchain or trust a third party for verification. Okay, why? I mean, it's not that hard to download the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, not that hard to sync a node. Even if you're using a Raspberry Pi, I think it only takes a couple days max um, to run through it and sync it. So yeah, it's, it's not that big of a problem. If you have a, 
you know, a generally good laptop, you know, a used laptop that you're upgrading, you can have that old laptop and you can sync it very, very quickly, maybe an hour or two. So it's, this is kind of a, not a non-problem, but it's interesting that people are doing things like this. Zero Sync is form, was formed to develop and maintain open source software that enables succinct ZK proofs on the Bitcoin blockchain. The group uses Starkware's proprietary zero-knowledge, scalable, transparent argument of knowledge, or ZK Stark validity proofs to generate ZK proofs for the Bitcoin network. Blah, blah, blah. That's some technical language. But it's interesting. I mean, like I said, Lightning Network's infrastructure is getting built out in every aspect. Okay, ZBD, I don't know how to say that. ZBD debuts global payment service powered by Bitcoin's Lightning Network. I guess ZBD is a game provider or game producer, uh, and they implement Bitcoin, a Bitcoin wallet into their system now. So Bitcoin gaming and payments company, ZBD, has debuted a payments feature on its app that allows users to instantly send any amount of money to five jurisdictions, including the Philippines and Brazil, for little to no cost using Bitcoin's Lightning Network. The feature enables users to connect their ZBD accounts directly to platforms run by Bitcoin payment firms, including Philippines-based Pouch and Brazil-based Bipa, according to a release. So this is using Lightning, but then having a third party also involved. So just interesting. I consider this part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. I consider it part of Lightning infrastructure because, you know, we should expect things like this uh, to at least be built out alongside the total open distributed permissionless system that doesn't have any middlemen, right? This is most people will choose to have middlemen. Unfortunately, that is the case at this time. And so this is not a surprise. And I think it's a sign that this infrastructure, you know, there is demand here. These, these people would not be building all this stuff if there wasn't demand at this time. You might expect one or two different lightning infrastructure companies out there. But when you start having 20, 30 different companies doing different things, providing things for Brazil or for the Philippines or for the UK, and then you have Strike on top of that connecting everybody like that just to me shows that there is demand for usage of this stuff um, and it's going to continue to grow. So anyway, that is the extent of the report today. Hope you guys found that useful and interesting. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. Make sure you subscribe to get these in your inbox every week on Monday. Subscribe to the YouTube. It's BTC Market Update. I'm on Twitter at Ansel Lindner, so I'm live streaming there too. And the telegram is t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. I appreciate everyone that supports the show. If you would like to support my content, I need more support uh, to continue making sure that I can put in as much time as I need into reports like this, into podcasts like this. Um, I appreciate everyone that supports the show. Check out BitcoinandMarkets.com to become a supporter. And that's it, guys. I'll see you on the next one. Bye.